You want big league performance in your backyard? Well, turn to steel battery tools like I have for a number of years. STIHL, that's steel. You can find them at steeldealers.com. There's more than 10,000 dealers around the country. And you can find them as well at steelusa.com. They have so many different tools, man. Cool stuff. Mowers, blowers, chainsaws, trimmers, all different price ranges. And depending on the kind of jobs that you have to get done, from small jobs to the biggest jobs out there for the pros, they all go to steel. That's S-T-I-H-L. Again, steeldealers.com, steelusa.com. They're fantastic. Real steel. Again, find yours at steel, S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com. Love telling you about my friends at Boyer's Coffee because I love coffee. And I love Boyer's Coffee. They've been brewed in the Rocky Mountains since 1965. It's how I start my day. And as I've told you many times, when I'm at the ballpark, that's what I get at the ballpark. Downstairs in the dining room. And then Deb's kind enough to uh, always bring by my mocha, which uh, gets me through the first usually about five innings. When it is cold out, I'll be honest, sometimes I double up like in April and sometimes in those September games. But their their coffee's consistent. Their coffee is great. They have a number of wonderful flavors. And if you go to boyerscoffee.com, they always have different promotions going. And you can get product sent right to your house. It's easy. It'll be there within 48 hours. I'm a K-Cup guy, and so I load up on uh, Aspen Gold typically. But I get other flavors as well, and I'm never disappointed. It's uh, consistently good. They're a wonderful member of our community for several generations now. As I said, since 1965. That's Boyer's Coffee. Find them at boyerscoffee.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Ryan Spielborgs joins the show to discuss the flurry of activity at the MLB trade deadline and the Rockies' lack of moves. As a Rocky, and even I've seen it myself, it is frustrating. The Rockies are not at the party. They're watching people party across the street. And Spilly and Drew remember Vin Scully. Said it every time I came up to the plate. Ryan Spielberg's from Santa Barbara, California. You know, you would talk about the son of two immigrants. His father is from Belgium. His mother is from Guatemala. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts. And tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. And look who's coming up. All year long, they look to him to light the fire. And all year long, he answered the demands until he was physically unable to start tonight with two bad legs, the bad left hamstring and the swollen right knee. And with two out, you talk about a roll of the dice. This is it. If he hits the ball on the ground, I would imagine he would be running 50% to first base. So the Dodgers trying to catch lightning right now. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. I suppose for this generation, it was his most well-known call. Kirk Gibson's home run. But Vin Scully had so many. And for me, and for many, many baseball fans, when you heard that he had passed at 94, 
it made you pause. There are deaths, obviously, each and every day, but famous people die each and every day. And there are some that really kind of stop you in your tracks. And being in baseball, and obviously being a baseball broadcaster, hearing of Vince Scully passing stopped me in my tracks. And interestingly, it was during game two of a very long day in San Diego with the Rockies playing uh, a doubleheader against the Padres on trade deadline day, no less, when there had been a flurry of activity, especially involving the Padres. The Rockies had not played well, and it came across my phone. And it just, it, it literally did shock me. And you say, well, how are you shocked when somebody who's 94 passes? Well, just a couple of weeks earlier, the Rockies were in L.A., and I was sitting with uh, Charlie Steiner and uh, uh, our producer, Tavis Strand, and I asked Charlie uh, how Vin was doing, because I knew he talked to him periodically. And I had almost the uh, same conversation with Jaime Harin uh, during those few days in Los Angeles. Jaime, uh, who's worked as, as long as Vin uh, had in the booth and is in the Baseball Broadcasters Hall of Fame as well, just asking how he was doing. And and both reports were, you know, he, he's doing he's doing pretty well, but he really misses Sandy, his, his wife, who had passed away. Um, and, and I passed on to them, please, when you talk to him, send him my regards, as I'm sure so many people uh, were doing who didn't get to see him on a regular basis. I will tell you as I kind of ramble through this and, and just reflect on, on Vin Scully that when I became a Major League Baseball broadcaster, without question, one of the greatest thrills was getting to not only initially meet him, which you kind of realized you would because <laughs> you're on the same uh, – you're, not, you're never on the same level, but I mean literal level. Your broadcast booths are, you know, right next to each other. And in the case of the Rockies and the Dodgers, they play in the same division. So you would see them quite a bit. And back when I started, uh, Vin was still traveling to Denver. And so I would see him 19, you know, games a year. And getting to know him, um, getting to visit with him, was beyond special. I don't know how to accurately describe it. I think if you listen to this podcast, and, and for those that, that have gotten to know me a little bit through the podcast or know me in quote-unquote real life, know that I'm not into idolatry. I'm not into, oh my goodness, that's so-and-so. Um, just never really been my personality. But I will tell you, the first time meeting Vin... And ultimately, as I said, getting to know him, that was special um, and was when I first did meet him, it kind of took me back. I remember talking to my dad later that day saying, man, I got to meet Scully. He was just different. And as I'm sure you've read from a lot of people, he was a finer gentleman than he was a broadcaster. And for me, and I've said this before, and I wrote this uh, in the book I did a couple of years ago with Benjamin Hockman, that he is 
was, will always be the greatest baseball broadcaster ever. And that will hold true 150 years from now. When people are reflecting back on the Red Barbers and the Bob Costases and the, whatever name comes up, in baseball broadcasting, number one will always be Vin Scully. And so you ask, you know, how you know, had this come to be? Why is this? Well, you can answer your question, that question yourself, because I'm sure he's number one for all of you who are listening to this right now. And I tried to write down some notes as to why it was. Well, first of all, he, he was universally liked by people who knew him. He was universally liked by most people who did not know him personally because he just came across as so eminently likable, so genuine, and he was both of those things and more. He had a beautiful way of, story, of storytelling. He had a beautiful voice. And I've said in the past that if somebody were to type down whatever he had just said, for instance, what we just heard with Kirk Gibson's home run, historic home run in 88, a million different people could read it and try to time it the same way he did. It wouldn't sound the same. He had a unique voice, a, a voice that was relaxing, a voice that was comforting. And he also began in a time where there weren't many entertainment options, where people in Brooklyn listened to the Dodgers with their transistor radios. Even those who went to the game had the transistor radio on so they could follow it that much more closely. And the same thing was true when the Dodgers moved west to Southern California. So many people grew up listening to Vin Scully. Ardent baseball fans, casual baseball fans. His timing in his storytelling was remarkable. And I'm going to paraphrase what Bob Costas had said about him on a number of occasions. He said not only was he the greatest storyteller and his timing was impeccable, but the game knew that Vin was telling a story and it would always yield to his storytelling. You know, if I go down a path and, and tell a story about a player or about a situation, I may get interrupted twice by actual action on the field. Guy doubles in the gap, guy hits a home run, and I have to kind of circle back to whatever the Heck, I was trying to tell you, not with Scully, according to Costas, the game would yield. It would The ball would not be put in play until he could reach the conclusion of his story. And boy, it did seem that way. I think of the, the voice, and I think all of you think of the voice, too. For me, it's kind of like whether you are a, a rap fan, a country fan, a rock and roll fan, or maybe your musical interest, inter, uh, interests are eclectic, when you hear Sinatra, when you hear Streisand, you know you were listening to a, a voice that was different, was without parallel. And, and that was Scully. And also his command of the language. He had a great vocabulary, but he never talked down to you. And he had, as we said, such beautiful timing with that language. I have stories that I, that I think of with Scully. 
for one, this is back in the days before he had stopped traveling. We were both coming out of our respective booths at the same time after one of those long course field, you know, four hour and 15 minute, nine inning slug fest. And I don't know who won. It didn't matter at that point who won. And as we both walked out of the booth, he turned to me and again, in that gorgeous voice of his, he said, Drew, don't they ever play crisp two hour and 40 minute games here? And I kind of chuckled and I said, no, Vin, not here. And uh, we laughed a little bit and went on, went on our ways. And there were, there were others too uh, that, that jumped to mind. Uh, I always think of when we would get to Dodger stadium in the, in the later years, when Vin was doing basically just the home games, he would go down to Anaheim. Then you'd go down to San Diego. He would go up to San Francisco, but you know, the best treat was when you got to Dodger Stadium. And before his booth was on the right first and, and the visiting television booth was next. But before I even would duck my head into uh, the visiting booth, I would I would go in the home booth and he would he was down a couple of stairs and, uh, you know, quietly say hello. I would quietly say hello. And um He'd turn around and just, hey, how are you, Drew? And it just made, you know, it made your day. It made your day that um, you had a relationship with with a true legend. And as you'll hear in a little bit with Spilly, who grew up in Southern California, and as a big leaguer, what it meant to him to have Vin Scully talk about him, it's just... You struggle to put it into words, and it's uh, another marking of the passing of time. And I thought, honestly, I thought he was one of those people that was going to live to 100-plus. And um, so it it did get me by surprise. One of my other favorite stories was I was hustling out of Dodger Stadium many times, but uh, this one particular time that stands out, and and I was literally, I I was kind of jogging to my rental car because one of my boys, my oldest in this case, Jacob was playing a a game in Orange County and I wanted, obviously I wanted to get there. So uh, the game's over and I'm hustling out. And then always had, as soon as the game ended, he was escorted to an elevator that they held for him and taken up to where his car, not hit, a car was waiting for him because he had a car service and he was kind of whisked out of there so you can beat stadium traffic. Well, I was trying to do the same thing naturally because as soon as we got off the air, I grabbed my stuff and I run out and I'm running to my rental car. I don't have car service, but I'm running to my rental car and I'm going by and I, I didn't even know this until all of a sudden a window comes down on, on this uh, car. You know, it's a, either a town car or a limo, I can't even remember. And I hear Vin, and he says, Drew, where are you off to? Can I help you out? And I said, oh, I'm running to catch, you know, my son's game. He goes, do you need a ride? <laughs> it was, and, and it was not, he was not kidding. I mean, if I said, yeah, actually I do, I think he probably would have said, "Tell told his driver, take him to wherever he needs to go. I mean, he was, 
he truly, as I said earlier, he was disarmingly nice. He was a finer gentleman than he was a broadcaster, and he was the best that there's ever been. So I did want to reflect on, on Scully passing and what he meant um, to me. And there are so many people that he touched. So many people, not only in, in, in the broadcasting business, we're all doing in some way, shape, or form what I'm doing, reflecting on what he meant in their careers or interactions they had with him. You know, Jenny's done the same thing. Spilly and I are going to do it here, uh, you know, again together in a moment. But all the fans, all the fans, you guys are telling the same stories about, I have so many friends that, that grew up in Southern California and talk about listening to Scully. One of the great treats of my life, because he was so generous with his time, was introducing, whether it was my father, who grew up in New York, a giant fan, by the way, but grew up in the in New York, or you know, a high school football teammate who now lived in Southern California, um, introducing them to Vin, the late Tom Graham, who was a you know played ultimately for the Broncos, played for the Chargers. Uh, he he he's the father, the late father of. Um, Daniel Graham, naturally, who was a tremendous tight end in the NFL. But Tom was was my first college football partner in the late 80s. And he grew up in the Los Angeles area. And he absolutely idolized Vin Scully. And many, many years ago, when um, when Tom was around, he asked me, you know, could you introduce me? And so Tom came up to the booth one time. And Vin, like he is with everybody, treated them like they were the... <laughs> Like they were the most important person in the world and took time and took pictures. And uh, I don't have many pictures up. I actually have a lot of pictures up in my office, but I don't have many, you know, mementos. I'm not super into memorabilia. Probably should be better about that. But I have not just one. I have two pictures up with Scully in my office. And he was kind enough to, to write a nice inscription on both of those. Thank God I'm over different periods of time because he probably was wondering or may have been wondering if I did it consecutively. Boy, why is he asking me for two different pictures and two different inscriptions? But uh, I, I think uh, they were both over several years, and I just wanted to make sure, because you never knew when he was going to retire, that I had those pictures with, with uh, a note on him, and he was great, and it's special, and I have them prominently displayed uh, in my office. We're going to get here to uh, to my partner, and we're going to talk about uh, Scully. We're going to talk about the trade deadline, what happened in baseball, what didn't happen uh, with the Rockies, what was really realistic, what wasn't. But uh, I wanted to share some memories of uh, Scully, just like all of you are doing uh, right now over the last uh, several days. So it's time now for our Deal Home Loans interview of the week. It's a guy that, uh, as I always say, is low-hanging fruit. He's a guy I love to give a hard time, but he's a great friend. He's a great broadcaster. Uh, he's one of the uh, most uh, fun people to hang out with, Ryan Spielborgs. I have to give my uh, my friend and uh, one of our great producers at AT&T, 
Schwartz, Rocky Mountain, Tavistrand, credit for this. But having Spilly on, he said, what is he, like your Joan Rivers? You have him on like he's like your guest host every once? I hadn't been able to reference Joan Rivers ever on my podcast. Were you a Joan Rivers fan? I, I was a Joan Rivers fan because I did enjoy the occasional red carpet show. She was very quick-witted. Uh, I mean, like, I, I do have a little bit of an old soul in that I, I love funny old comedians. Don Ricketts. Oh, that would be Rickles. Don, Rick, <laughs> Don Rickles. Don Rickles. Who am I thinking Ricketts? The Ricketts family that owns the Chicago <laughs> But I, I mean, like, it's funny. There's You have all these, you know, memories of things in the past and... Um, you know, like they just don't make them like they used to. They don't, but, but seriously, Joan Rivers, and she died before she, you know, unfortunately, tragically, after surgery or in surgery, and she shouldn't have died. But, Spilly, you saw her on The Tonight Show. Did you ever see her? Because she was like triple X rated in terms of language, especially back in the day. Did you ever see her? do her stand-up? I've seen one of her stand-ups on YouTube, and I was, like, rolling on the on the floor. So there, there's, like, Lisa Lampanelli uh, is another comedian that's kind of, like, I don't want to say raunchy because that's not a fair word, but she's she's a different type of comedian. Okay, well, you're the Joan Rivers of the different podcast. Moving on, before we talk the trade stuff, and, and this, I, this is a tough segue because I know... Uh, I just spoke about what Vince Scully meant to me and why he is inarguably the greatest to ever do it. And you've jumped right in, and you're you're a natural, and you also grew up in Southern California, and you have an interesting link in a strange way to Scully and how you came to, to play baseball as a little boy. Yeah, that's why, I mean... When I think about 67 years as a broadcaster and you know, the connection of, of Dodgers history to New York, to Brooklyn, to California, and um, thinking about my family's connection to Southern California baseball and the Dodgers specifically, like, I share this story, it's worth repeating every single time. You know, I lost my mom in 2009 and she was the driving influence of why I play baseball. And her love affair of Fernando Valenzuela Fernando Mania as, as being a Guatemalan immigrant, seeing somebody compete on that stage and for the Latin American community in California, Fernando was a big deal. I mean, it was, it was one of their own uh, that represented so many different people um, that came and, you know, that, that, that worked uh, as immigrant workers in Southern California. Uh, you know, my mom just gravitated towards the Dodgers because of Fernando. So she would always listen to the Dodger games, especially if Fernando pitched. And my mom and I shared that love affair of listening to Vin all Dodger games. I, I watched hundreds of games with my mom on the couch in Santa Barbara. And like, basically if my mom fell asleep, I could watch the end of the Dodgers game. And uh, you know, like losing Vin yesterday brought, it was, it was more melancholy that, you know, like I miss my mom and I miss that connection to you know, to Dodgers baseball and what Vin brought and kind of tied everybody together was that you could share a team with a voice that you know your father listened to and great-grandfather listened to and your, your mother listened to. Like, that that's what resonates with me with Vin is that he was able to 
share the game with so many generations of baseball fans, far more than any of our contemporaries right now, because there's just not as many people that have done it for that long. And Koufax with a new ball, takes a hitch at his belt, and walks behind the mound. I would think that the mound at Dodger Stadium right now is the loneliest place in the world. You can't blame a man for pushing just a little bit now. It is 9.46 p.m. Two and two to Harvey Keene. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed a perfect game. You know, I asked a couple of Rockies today, Gary Hampson, Ryan McMahon, and, and Garrett played at Long Beach State in Southern California. He's from Reno, but you know, as you and I both know, in the case of Ryan McMahon, he's a Southern California kid, he's an Orange County kid. And he said, Spilly, what you did yesterday, I'm going to ask you to tell that story again, for a major league player to have Vince Scully talk about them on the air, whether they were a Dodger or not, but they were playing the Dodgers and Vince Scully was talking about them. It, he said he has it, you know, he has that somewhere on his phone or his computer, and I know you do. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the part where I think for Southern California kids, I mean, you, you couldn't watch a Dodger game without hearing his voice. It's like if you watch a Dodger game because they simulcast it, radio and TV, it was, it was Vin. That was it. And if you wanted to play in the big leagues, you wanted to hear Vin call your name if you're from Southern California, if you end up watching the Dodgers. And uh, the way that Vin captured where the player was from, special nugget I, I know in, in my case he said it every time I came up to the plate Ryan Spielberg's from Santa Barbara California 90 miles north I can still hear it played at UC Santa Barbara Skip Schumacher and you know he would talk about the son of two immigrants his father is from Belgium his mother is from Guatemala and you know like that represented my family like he represented my mom he represented my dad he represented UC Santa Barbara like just in one sentence about me, he captured my career and who I reflected on that stage. And like that, that to me shows the, the true sign of why Vin was so special to all of us because he captured Jackie Robinson and he captured Hank Aaron's Homer and like just the greats of our game. Like <laughs> he did that for all those people. So you, you, you recognize your numbers like, oh, I'm number 17,326 at all times. Like, you know that Vin called like 15,000 of those guys. Isn't that amazing? Something else amazing. Yesterday, you and I, after the, the day-night doubleheader, went out and had a drink, a little something to eat, and I don't know about you, but I went back and I passed out. I, I, I think I slept like nine and a half hours. You and I had each other and Jenny to lean on for whatever it was, seven hours or so of broadcasting baseball. Vin did it by himself in large measure. Crazy. I think that's the part that probably stands out a little bit more as a broadcaster now, not as an athlete, you don't get that. As a broadcaster, to recognize every single day that he called a baseball game, the amount of effort to prepare for a baseball game. He also, he was, he was different in that he wasn't opinionated. You know, he wasn't, he didn't have like a massive opinion. Uh, I love hearing a story that I heard today from Al Michaels 
who was talking about Vin Scully, and he said the energy he brought, it was not over the top, it was just right. And the reason why was Vin Scully, when he was listening back to his early youth as a broadcaster, he heard him get like super energized on a plane, and he said he didn't like the sound of his voice. It sounded overmodulated, just, it was too much. So he toned it down just enough. Just enough that you knew like this was a big moment, but not to the point where it felt like it was a, it was an over a top event. And like those little subtle parts of his craft, like you, you knew, you formulated over time. Like, he was great because he was great over time. You learned a lot. So that, I mean, all of that encompassing kind of the idea of, he, he connected us to the past. You know, you could hear the 1930s in him. You could hear the 1940s and 50s and 60s and 70s. Like you could hear um, the past every time he spoke, and I think that's why he's so unique. He had a soothing voice, and especially today, in an age where everyone and everything is polarizing to a certain degree, you can't get five people to agree that it's a sunny day out, right? You'd be hard-pressed, and again, you grew up in Southern California. Uh, I grew up in New York, and, and my, my dad listened to Scully, even though he's a, a giant fan. You'd be hard-pressed to find people who did not appreciate Vince Scully. And that, that's, that shows true greatness. I was thinking back to some of the, the stories that still go in my mind when I think about Ben. I put on a Dodger game years ago with my son as he was like starting to fall in love with baseball. And we wanted to watch Mookie Betts. We wanted to watch. Um, we wanted to watch the Dodgers. This is before Mookie Betts, but we wanted to watch the Dodgers. And I throw on a Dodgers game, and here's Vin. And we're so accustomed to everything being 30 seconds, you know, TikTok videos. My son's, you know, at that time he's five years old. They like they like playing iPad, and you know, just to get a kid to sit, sit down for a bit is was hard. It still is hard to get a kid to sit down. So here's Vin, and you would assume that the way he talks and you know, the cadence of it, watching a baseball game, a slow baseball game, would not be enjoyable for a five-year-old kid. Completely enthralled. He wanted to watch it. He liked listening to it. And that, that to me, really shows, like again, the genius of Vin Scully and his ability to kind of capture every age group. That's hard to do. <laughs> like, we're not for, I'm, I know like my stuff, it isn't for everybody. I might be a little bit too bubbly here, not enough there. Like, he captured it for every single generation of a baseball fan that would watch it. They're like, that was fun. Yeah, and for a guy who had uh, an, an amazing vocabulary, one never felt like he was talking down to them, which is, that in itself is a unique skill. More with Drew and Ryan Spielborgs right after this. But first, this for my friends at Ideal Home Loans. Brent Ivinson's team is terrific, and uh, we know that the real estate market has gone crazy over the last year, and now interest rates have gone up, and you're wondering, can I still purchase a home? Can I still get a good rate? Who's going to put me in a, in a good product? Who is going to answer a myriad of questions that I may have. Well, I have just such the company for you. It is Ideal Home Loans. Again, Brent Ivinson's team. More than 20 years in our market, also down in Arizona. You can reach them at 303-867-7000. They're going to be a wonderful guide for you through these uh, crazy real estate times. They're going to help you 
uh, get the money you need for either the project uh, in your current home or the purchase of a new home or a second home, perhaps. Again, it's 303-867-7000, Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Now more with Drew and Spilly. Last one on Vanity will transition to trade stuff. Do you remember the first time you met him? I do remember the first time I met him. He was in uh, the, the clubhouse, the old visiting clubhouse that we would be at Dr. Sands. So I met him as a player, and he came and he sat down, and he usually would come and sit. When Jim Tracy was the manager of the Rockies, that's really where I got a chance to, to sit and talk to him. And he was so gracious. And I would always come up and introduce myself, and he knew, he knew me before, and I would still introduce myself every time. It's just, Mr. Scully, so good to see you. Ryan Spielberg's a huge fan. Look, Ryan, I know who you are. Santa Barbara, you know, and that. We see a lot of people. We meet people all the time. There's a, there's all these these people that we have met and you apologize to them like I might have met you before and I forgot your name like it has nothing to do with like me not I remember a face and I go okay that's right but Vin honestly remembered you in a face as baseball players and his sense of recall of people he knew the security guards and he knew like everybody he treated everybody even if you weren't a big leaguer that's the part that really stands out he treated everybody, even if you weren't the best player on the team or a major league player, he'd give you the time of day. I said this earlier when I was doing the kind of my monologue that I'm not into idolatry and at all, but I remember the first time meeting him feeling, wow, this is, you know, it's like royalty. And though I'm not into royalty either, but you know what I mean. Uh, I'll leave you with this one on Finn. Buddy Black said, I've only been nervous meeting two people in my life, Willie Mays and Vince Gully. Rest in peace, Vin. And we transition now to the trade deadline, which, I mean, you had to do it on MLB radio, which was a crazy day. Uh, it also fell where the Rockies were playing a scheduled day-night doubleheader against the Padres. The Padres' home happened to be the most visible team, an active team in the 48 hours leading up to the trade deadline. How do you summate what they ended up doing from Hader to Soto? Let's not leave out Josh Bell or picking up Brandon Drury who has 20 home runs. They did what a lot of teams wish they could do. I think there's people that admire what just happened uh, from, a, from a front office standpoint. I mean, Trading that amount of talent, that amount of people for, for what you know returns, which could be you know arguably the, the Ted Williams of, the, of this generation, it's not easy. It takes a lot of people, scouts, front office, ownership, both sides. I mean that like the deals that were made yesterday from the Padres standpoint, and even from the national, that takes a lot of boxing. It takes a lot of a lot of skill to do it. And there were many teams that sat on the outside and watched that. Man, I kind of wish I could do that. <laughs> you know, there's there's people that do stuff, jump out of a plane, go skydiving, you know, they, like, however you want to think of something that, that seems intimidating and scary, you're like, 
man, I wish I could kind of do that. Padres did it, Nationals did it, and I have no idea other than the short term what it means for baseball, it's, it's exciting. Long term, I have no idea if this is going to be the biggest trade in the history of Major League Baseball. If the players that went to the Nationals are going to become all-stars, all-of-famers, we don't know. Juan Soto is going to turn out to be a Hall of Famer. The Padres are going to win a World Series during this time frame. But to make those deals, not easy. That's why it might go down in the history of Major League Baseball as the, the biggest trade of all time. Was there another team or teams that jumped out in terms of the moves they made that you said, hey, they're a whole lot better day after the trade deadline than the day before? Yankees are much better today than they were yesterday. The, the one that was a little head scratching was training a starter in Jordan Montgomery to the St. Louis Cardinals for Harrison Bader just because he tried to trade away starting pitching depth, and the Yankees did that. But every move from their bullpen, Scott Efros with the Cubs, who's a really nasty arm angle, Frankie Montas, who they added from Oakland to go with their, their starting rotation, they have put themselves in a position where they want to win a World Series. They'll be the first one since uh, 2009. And as much as the Padres kind of shook baseball with the moves that they made, the Yankees are better now than they were three days ago. That was after they already had the best record in baseball. And the, and the Rockies, we talked about it on the air, the Rockies were the only team out of 30 that did not make a trade. And one of the guys that they received a lot of calls on, naturally, was Daniel Bard. They extended him for a couple of years in neighborhood of $19 million. I always look at this bottom line business. We talk about Juan Soto and that group company Padres. The Padres are going for it. They have a really good influence. They're trying to win a World Series now and in the next couple of years, they never won a World Series. For the Rockies, it's all about getting better. The Rockies are, as we talked today, 13 games from these 500. They're not a good baseball team. They haven't been a good baseball team, to be honest, since 2018. 2017 also, they were a solid baseball team. So it's about getting better. How do you go about that, and should the Rockies in some way, shape, or form have been more active, or do you look at it, well, you got to make more moves in the offseason, and, and still stay the course, even though it wasn't a popular thing from a fan base It's It's tough to like truthfully answer this one, especially because we cover this team and we know the guys. I think the industry showed you um, the way that they value the Rockies players is not as high as I think the Rockies value their players. It, and it's not it's not a knock when you when you start to know these players, they become a little bit more you're more attached to them. Uh, when you draft and develop, which is part of the model, it gets harder and harder to let go of those players, especially if you don't feel like you're getting the same value in time. Um, and I know a lot of people are gonna rate the Rockies and the Colts for not making a move. When you start to put it in the vacuum of, like, as a Rockies fan, why didn't the Rockies make a move? They should have made a move. You can't see the full picture. If you get out of the vacuum and start looking, all right, if the Rockies had traded Chad Cool, and you look at Chad Cool in comparison to the other arms that were getting traded, Chad Cool's back of the baseball card and skill set to where he's not the same as the other team. 
start going down the list of rosters, you have to add what the salary was of a player. In the case of Jose Iglesias, again, like another player that the Rockies value is putting up a great season. Is he a starting shortstop on a playoff team right now? The answer is no. And so if you're going to pay the remainder of his salary to be a, a utility player on a, on a, on a high-quality team, the value of $800,000 for a handful of bats is not worth it. So, to me, like, as much as I want to see, and, and trust me, like, watching from here, watching the Padres make the, the moves as a Rocky, and even I've seen it myself, it is frustrating. I want to be a part of that. That is way more fun. You want to be at the party? The Rockies are not at the party. They're watching people party across the street. But you have to get better, and that's a really good, almost like a litmus test of where the franchise is, where the players are, where the players need to be, and how to get to that next level. So as much as you know, it frustrates me that they didn't make a trade, they didn't make a trade because the, the rest of the league has not valued what the players that they're willing to trade with, and that's why. So get better, and it's across the board. That's, that's going to be the, the challenge is internally, if I was a player in there, I would see the same thing. Like, dang, we need to get better. Like, I need to get better because you also think about your long-term future. Nobody wants me. Another organization doesn't even want me and I'm on a big league roster. I can't help a team in a playoff run. It's not just about a, a front office or salaries. Like, they don't think I'm good enough to make a trade for me how do I get better so that's it's kind of a you know, man in the mirror moment for the Rockies franchise hopefully uh, yesterday in a way to start moving it forward yeah absolutely I think you uh, articulated that well and it, it's not an overnight process it's not an overnight process for virtually all the teams in Major League Baseball but uh, hopefully with the next generation of Rockies and, and continuing to get more potential down the road and however you can do that that'll be a profound importance spilly slash joan rivers can't thank you now it's time to do a baseball broadcast yeah for hopefully forever we'll do a baseball broadcast forever that's ryan spillboards folks thanks bud all right big thanks to spilly and very quickly want to make mention of this. Charles Barkley. I love Charles Barkley. We're talking about broadcasting legends. And uh, Charles was a Hall of Fame basketball player. And yet I think more people currently in this generation are aware of him for his work on TNT and how entertaining he is in his commercial work. Barkley is somebody I got to know uh, a little bit when he was in the NBA. He was a uh, one time I was I was I got to the game. We weren't when I was doing the Nuggets. We weren't broadcasting, or I wasn't broadcasting that night. It was one of the handful of games back in the day that we weren't televised. Maybe it was a national television game because Barkley was in town playing for the Phoenix Suns. Must have been a national game. And anyhow, he um, it, it's too long and convoluted a story as to why he wanted to ask me something and I didn't really know him then 
But he wanted to ask me, and I thought um, the people who were telling me, because I got to the game late, that, that Barkley hey, has a question for you, wants to talk to you. But I thought they were making it, you know, putting me up something or it was, it was a joke because, you know, why would he want to talk to me? And as it were, I'll keep that part of the story private, but it was um, it was funny. And, and Barkley did want to, he, he, he had a question for me um, that I guess only I could answer. And um, it, we started a, a little bit of a relationship then. And so whenever uh, the Nuggets were playing, whatever team Charles was on, Phoenix, ultimately Houston, um, you, you can tell when you watch Charles Barkley, if you listen to his podcast with Ernie Johnson, which is the steam room, which is awesome. He is a great person. He loves people. And... Whenever I would see him, he'd give me a big hug and, and we, you know, we talk a little bit and I'm not trying to act as if, you know, we're, we're close friends. We're not. But during that period of time, you know, when you'd see him two or three or four times a year, um, he, he was, su- he was just super. And, uh, I ran into him in, in a restaurant or two and he came to the television booth once when, uh, the Rockies were playing in Atlanta many years ago, and I was wondering, boy, is he even going to remember me? Same thing. Gives you a big hug. and He just loves people, and, and he's a tremendous guy. And you're saying, well, what, what the hell are you telling this story for? Well, he decided not to take the overtures from the Live Golf Tour. And this is not a commentary on the Live Golf Tour. This is more commentary on adoring Barkley's talent and listening to him on Turner, and I don't know if it would have precluded him continuing on in the NBA. I'm sure they probably would have worked out something. But Charles ultimately said, "You know what? Uh, I'm staying right with Turner." Uh, he he said, "You know, we're the reason I am who I am is because of basketball and because of Turner Sports." And I, I love that he did that. Uh, you know, he he obviously is very well to do, and and you know was going to be more well-to-do, I, I suppose, if he took uh, the money from Liv. It's, again, it's not a commentary on that. It's just twofold. One, I wanted to make sure, uh, selfishly, that I would get to see him do his thing with Ernie Johnson and with Shaq and Kenny on Turner. Like all of you, I'm sure you feel the same way. And the other thing is, know where your wheelhouse is. And he's been great on those golf events, those made-for-television golf events, busted Brady's balls and that, that kind of stuff. I mean, super entertaining, right? But if he was having to be a, a, a true commentator on golf where they're playing seriously, it, it's almost like, and he recognizes, probably, you know, out of his element a little bit. Yeah, he'd still deliver a funny line and that sort of thing. Um, but it would not be the same as him talking about basketball where he clearly is an expert and that great chemistry he has on the set again with with Ernie and Kenny sitting next to him and and Shaq across the way uh so uh, I was thrilled that that Charles is staying put at Turner I hope one time uh we'll get to run into him again because uh he's a treasure man he is he is a treasure Hey, reminder, as always, to check out Patrick Lyons, the DNVR Rockies podcast, DNVR. Uh, subscribe to them because, you know, you, you're going to get it in print. You're going to get the uh, audio version as well for every team, professional and college in our region. That's the DNVR folks. 
Time to get on out. We will do it again a week from now. Thanks for joining us on Show 161 on the Drew Goodman Podcast. Spread the word, uh, download, subscribe, all those things I'm supposed to say. And most importantly, stay well. 